It is my uh, privilege to continue to be here um, each May for the B.Ed. Graduation Chapel. It's something like as soon as I finish speaking, I say to Carla, please invite me next year. Because it's so delicious to meet with a group of individuals who are just beginning this amazing adventure. So first thing, I just wanna say congratulations. I know you've still got coursework to complete, but I'm sure by this point, the end is in sight. You have survived your practicums, you are churning out those papers, and uh, you are beginning to picture yourself as the person responsible for the classroom. So you sort of went from being a witness and uh, watching from the sidelines to taking on a little at a time, and it won't be long before they're yours. They belong to you and you'll be serving uh, those students with his love and his light. I want to continue the reading that was read so beautifully this morning from 1 Timothy. So chapter 4 is basically the Apostle Paul, so uh, an older guy, kind of giving some advice to a younger, less experienced individual. Sort of saying, this is, this is what matters to me, this is what I value, this is what I have found to be true. So I come to you in that spirit today. I, um, I appreciate Paul saying, you know what, don't be thinking that I've got it all together. Because he's sort of saying, look, like I came from the dark side and I have done lots of things. There was a time where I was very busy busy operating against God's plan actively. And I was saved by uh, my faith in Christ. And so he says to Timothy, that's how I'm coming to you as somebody who, um, who has seen salvation. Because salvation is not just an act on the cross. It's not just a moment where you make a decision that guarantees you an eternity in heaven instead of hell. Salvation is a daily process of being renewed and again remembering that there's darkness all around us. And that's the darkness Jesus died for. It's the same darkness that he's promising on a daily basis to rescue us from. And so from that version of salvation, let's look at what Paul says to Timothy. So in chapter four, he's gone on and on about, here's some things I've, I've really taken to heart. I understand what I used to be like and who I used to be and how God is transforming and changing my life. And he says, um, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And in 1 Timothy, uh, the first chapter, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you. Because individuals had said to Timothy, Timothy, you've got a gift. Looking out on this crowd, I know that there are individuals in your life who have said to you, you have a gift. You are such a natural pianist, singer, speaker, teacher, leader. 
You have a gift. So Paul is saying, you wanna use that gift, and he says, uh, give you this instruction that, which, which is aligned with the gift that you have so that you may fight the good fight. Now, last week I was at a restaurant where I had to pay for parking. So I arrived, parked my car, went to the little machine, put in all my money, uh, and like all my money, parking in Toronto, <laughs> That was it. Um, and you had to punch in and register your license plate. So I punched in and went to the restaurant and I came out and there was a $55 ticket on my car. Okay, I was ready for a good fight. I was like, speaking of fight the good fight, I was thinking, hey, what? I paid, I went to the little box, I pushed in my num, what's the big idea? It wasn't until I looked in my purse, I pulled out the tag to double check, did I get the time wrong, or what, what had the machine done incorrectly, and I realized I brought it just to prove to you that I really did pay. Um, I realized, oh, I've registered my postal code. So basically, my home can park there anytime, but not my car. So sometimes when you're expecting or you're counting on a good fight, you know, you find out that, that there were some details you were missing there. I want to take us back to Exodus because I can't help it. I just love those poor Israelites. Like, they, they just never get it, you know. They, they, ever since being rescued out of slavery from Egypt, they can't stop complaining to Moses. Like, you dragged us out of, okay, it was slavery, but anyways, you dragged us out of that to bring us here where it's so sandy and hot and we're thirsty and we're eating the same man every day. And, you know, why didn't you just leave us there then bring us out to this life? Now, you may have found teacher's college I'm not going to try to equate it to slavery or to prison, <laughs> but a lot of work. And you may be thinking, freedom, I am on my way. Just wait till September. And then you may be saying like, what have I done? Somebody take me back to Egypt. But you will find, here's the thing that there'll be some surprises along the way. So while the Israelites are schlepping through the desert, Pharaoh is not just sitting back going, oh, let them go. He's saying, what have we done? I let them go and now we've lost all our servants. We need them back here and off they go. Now, can you just imagine you're hot and you're tired and you've been walking for weeks and you turn around? And there's chariots, horses, soldiers screaming, yelling on your tail. You, you know, you start to think this is, this is hopeless. This is helpless. I, I, uh, what are we going to do? We're doomed. So the people start again at Moses as they were wont to do, saying, you know, I actually love it because they put all the exclamation marks like, um, what, were there no graves in Egypt? You brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, just leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. 
Moses answered the people. And this part I just love because I'm sure inside he was going, I know, I feel a little bit like that too. But when you're the leader, eh, you, you sort of pull it together. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now when we think of a good fight in our society, in our culture, in our current day, we think if it's on the sports field perhaps or in the boxing ring, a good competition where they were pretty equally matched and where they both gave everything they got and then at the end there was a victor. So we think of a fight as involving a lot of energy, a lot of action, a lot of activity. When I think of the kinds of fights that you see at school, if they're girl fights, it's a lot of talking. It'll be like, I am not her friend anymore. I'm not talking to her because she used to be friends with her, but now on Facebook, she, you can picture the whole thing. Like, <laughs> It's just like, it's weapons only, it's all words, you know? I've worked with grade eight boys with behavior exceptionalities, their fights are very short, like shut up, boom. <laughs> now it's over, then they both go to the gym and play basketball. Um, the little ones fight differently. Like I was VP at a school where there used to be a lineup of kids outside my door after afternoon recess in the winter. And I, I was kind of a middle school person. That's where my passion was. So it always sort of perplexed me, like the little grade ones and twos would line up. Miss, he stole my snow. I'm like, okay, I don't even get that. Like, how can you? But they had like little territories. You may have seen it. Like, this is my place. And the next recess, someone else is. I said, who knew? But the point being, we think of fighting as very active, physical or verbal, that when Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to go out there and fight the good fight, you don't picture what Moses is telling the Israelites, which is basically, of course my bookmark fell out, so um, that just gives me a chance to breathe. Exodus 14, 14, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, as you go into this career you're embarking on, you will probably find a lot of people who seem to be picking a fight. Some of them might be colleagues who feel indignant about the conditions that they work in. Some of them might be colleagues who don't prefer someone else on the staff. Some of them might be um, principals or vice principals who are leading with more direction than collaboration. Some of them might be kids who are challenging your authority. Some of them might be parents. I'm sure you've never known any of those, but the ones who um, feel like their child is um, perfect. I, I, I know we all think our kid is perfect, but there are some who actually believe like, that their child is, uh, 
is unable, incapable of, um, of doing something inappropriate. I, I have a few stories about that, but we're in such a beautiful location. I really, I don't want to like lower our day uh, by talking about, you know, the many ways that people may seem to be looking to get a fight out of you or challenging you, or waiting for you to react or respond or um, sort of setting you up. I had this kid in the same behavior class I was talking to you before at Remembrance Day. We were sitting in the assembly and he was a few seats down from me and unfortunately he was out of poking distance. Not that you can poke, I know the CAS rules, etc. but I'm just saying back in the day where you might gently go, no, no. Um, or give the face, he was a little too far to make a clear message. But it was the silent part, like just before the trumpet goes and he would not stop pulling the hair of the girl in front of him. And I tried my gentle faces, like, no, 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 <laughs> nothing. Like he was just pretending I was not there. Till finally, I leaned forward to make a clear, direct, like this must stop face. And he stood up in the middle, thank you. Like, I, this girl's face was like, oh no. I was like, that's exactly how I felt being his teacher. Because he stood up and said, what, Miss Veal? You're always picking on me. I thought, oh, that was Remembrance Day. <laughs> Just went, something to remember. So, um, I will tell you, you, it's easy to find somebody who's looking for a fight. But when Moses is saying, just be still and God's going to fight for you, that doesn't make sense to us. It starts to make sense if you look at Psalm 46. Because when you're being still, it doesn't mean you're a doormat. When you're being still, it doesn't mean you're not bright enough to understand the issues. When you're fighting in stillness, it doesn't mean that you don't have courage or bravery to stand up. Let's look at Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Be still and know that I am God. So you're just not sitting still eating bonbons. You're not sitting still flicking channels. You're not sitting still zoning out and thinking, la la la, I hope this person goes away. You're still in the knowledge that he is in charge. So when you come to a fight, whether it's an actual individual who's challenging you or a problem that seems insurmountable, or an issue that looks like an army coming charging after you. So after you get over the instinct to freak out and panic, hold yourself together to be still, but don't just sit there going, now what? Be still and know. Know he's God. He will be exalted among the nations. They will know that he is God. It's not like, well, if everything works out, hopefully they should know that he is God and he possibly will be exalted. No, he will be exalted among the nations. Every knee shall bow. 
So your fight can look a lot like stillness in your spirit and in your heart as you trust and know he's in charge. He knows the end from the beginning. So even if your fight is about, will I ever get a job in Toronto? Will I ever get full-time work? Or will I be a point two, a point three, a point seven, a point six, teaching kindergarten, gym, and grade 12 history? You, you may be feeling like there's a situation that looks kind of bleak. There may be a situation in your family or in your life outside of Tyndale that looks a bit hopeless, looks a bit like an army coming after you. There may be individuals in your life that where you sort of feel like, I am having a hard time seeing Jesus in you. However, he promises us, be still, just be still. Pause and know that I am God. Don't just be still and sit there. Be still and know I've got this. I've got you. You're okay. It's a good fight. It's my fight. Just stand there and trust me. And good things are going to come from that. My prayer for you as you begin to share your hearts and your hopes and your training, your experiences, as you open up your life to the kids and the families you're gonna serve. I just pray that for every moment that it feels like there's an incoming army, for every moment of stress or uncertainty, for every moment where there looks like there's a conflict or a challenge or something that's too big for you, be still and know that the one who made you and loves you already has the answer. And I send you with my my best prayers for you to keep knowing him, keep knowing his salvation and his rescue repeatedly, not a one-time event. I pray for you to be able to be saved every day, again, from whatever army is coming after you, that you may know he is God and know that it was a good fight and it is his to have the victory. Thank you for having me today.